So baby, just one kiss. She said no, no, no. Romance ain't keeping me alive. I said hey, baby, just one coo coo coo. She said ah ah ah. So I was left out in the cold. I said you're what I've been dreaming of. She said I don't want to go. Oh, you know she was digging the cat up. That is such a gem as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, Clap for the Wolfman by the Guess Who, one of their last singles, I think. And um, it not only answers uh, a a chronic question of male-female relations, as in, what does she mean when she says, I need some alone time? Or I need a period of time to really uh, think on my own. I I need a time apart to be in my own. Um, uh, I've got to get away in order really to think. And... uh, if uh, Wolfman Jack's delightful and ironic and uh, I guess the word today is sly commentary on the uh, situation I've just described is to be trusted at all and um, you'll have to decide. Uh, it answers one of the most significant questions is what exactly is she saying to me? <laughs> Why is she saying this? She wasn't saying it before. What has caused this tremendous um, overwhelming desire to reflect and to think? And... Um, That's not the point of the cast, though. The cast is actually initially started as a commentary on humor because Wolfman Jack is such a a hilarious um, um, factor in human experience. You remember the 
scene very near to the end of American Graffiti, which came out in 1973, and um, you hear in the background crying in the chapel, and uh, the Richard Dreyfus character um, is drawn to the little uh, concrete uh, kind of uh, radio shelter where the local uh, television station is holding forth. And Wolfman Jack is really the, the, the man of the year, the man of the hour, the man of the planet. And uh, he has something that he can do for the uh, character that is um, unique. And uh, yet there's a real sense in which he's God. He's, he's both there and he's not there. He is the person he says he is, but he says he's not the person he says he is. And uh, he's very shadowy, and yet he is the uh, kind of, the music is kind of the attitudinal, the cloud that surrounds the characters and really unifies them in a most um, um, visible and experienced manner. I mean, these are just words, but crying in the chapel for Wolfman Jack. And uh, there's something there that is really very funny. I mean, the whole thing is hysterically funny. And... um, clap for the wolfman. Who are they clapping for? And what is he saying? And why is he saying it? And why did the guess who, who had this artistic kind of strange, you can't put it in a category, inspirational light. Their singles are very emotional and very sort of spread out. They're Almost all of them are about loss at some point, which we're going to get to in a minute. Almost all of them have to do with some terrible um, um, uh, uh, reflection on the sorrow. They're they're suffering songs. Almost all of them are suffering songs, as you'll hear at the end, but they are all that. And um, then to produce at the end of their initial run uh, a song as delightful and clever and uh, participatory as Clap for the Wolfman. Um, the whole thing shows that God exists very much in the absurd and the funny. I've always thought that, and it's a labored idea now, and it's one that has been very beautifully uh, presented recently on Mockingbird, where the um, the site offered some uh, photography from the Lake Placid 1932 Winter Olympics, which has really almost got to be seen to believe. It's, uh, it's so unideological and so ridiculous and so funny and so delightful. And... Um, the Wolfman Jack brought me to that, but actually what's really brought me to this cast is uh, through the suffering of the music expressed in the Gesu, often inarticulately and often in a very varied manner and mood, but the bottom line seems to me, with a few exceptions, to be that of profound uh, painful feeling as expressed primarily through the um, the breaks and the choruses, and especially in the penetrating voice of Burton Cummings. Now, what really put this in perspective is some comments I've been receiving, and I've, I've gotten some very um, thoughtful, interesting, lengthy comments on my book, uh, PZ's Panopticon, An Off-the-Wall Guide to World Religion, in which the readers are really dwelling on what I'm talking about. And... Um, what I'm talking about there is the uh, is the light that is uh, seems to be shed on life, the perspective that one one uh, seems to be um, offered by the immediate expectation of one's own death, as played out in the experience of the um, the nearly dead, the man on the ceiling, the floater, as I call him. And this particular individual, male or female, because all of us are involved, is not one of us who isn't, is um, 
caught in the place of having to be witnessing his own immediate death uh, and uh, he's looking down on it or looking from the corner wherever he's looking he sees it for a moment and he doesn't know what in the world is happening except he's been sundered from his um, uh, given body into a observing status and he's going somewhere he, she, whatever is uh, constantly this person, this individual, is departing. And so the book is a kind of uh, emergency, <laughs> foreigner, an emergency look at um, what's going on. And uh, an emergency look at the possibilities of the world religions. I was uh, surfing the cable actually much earlier this morning and uh, all the cable networks were on their usual chatter about Obamacare, but there's some uh, – the problems in the Ukraine were very much there and uh, Syria. There were other things, and again, that sense of absolutely um, intransigent deja vu, these kinds of problems – have been repeating themselves in the news cycle for um, months and, and years and decades and centuries. And uh, the, the whole thing seems so, um, in the light of what we're talking about here, the whole thing seems so, um, like it really, you really have to abnegate. It, there's nothing there for you. There's nothing, there's nothing to be gained there. You can't learn anything. Carlyle was with, uh, with his great friend, um, who founded a kind of Pentecostal sect in uh, England in the 1830s or 40s or 50s, and um, Henry Irving, was that his name? And uh, uh, they go to visit a very much a, a humbug uh, of a Christian in that particular environment. And as they're walking down the stairs and visiting this man who's all into prophecies and pieces of paper of various prophecies that apply to the present in that man's mind. And Carlyle, the genius, turns to his wonderful friend, uh, Mr. Irving, and he says, uh, do you really think that that man has anything to teach you? Well, as I was going around the cable, there were three or four evangelists, one or two of whom are, I know are sincere, and uh, one of whom I think sometimes seems to connect with real life. But I listened for a minute, and what they were saying and what uh, the feudal uh, kind of turning of the wheel that I was seeing on the cable news were not making any contact. This fellow really, or these people, there were three of them, had almost nothing to say to the obvious fact of the... Uh, absurdity clap for the wolf man you know let's well, why don't we clap for the wolf man i mean there are any number of other people we can clap for but uh, we can clap for abraham lincoln a vampire hunter or we can clap for nelson mandela and we do very well to do that and we clap for um caesar chavez or jane fonda but uh, why don't we just look at the whole big picture in light of death and clap for wolf man jack now um but to get serious just for a second and hopefully helpful helpful to you and to um and actually obviously i'm doing this in search of my own author what is so fascinating is that um what 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 happens when you see this what uh, what occurs in a person what is meant to occur in you and me when we sort of see through the 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 endless cyclical character of the news cycle of the um 
someone said once that they wanted to stay, someone who was dying that I knew and I was ministering to, and his daughter said, well, he really wants to stay alive so he can find out, you know, what happens to McGovern, <laughs> if McGovern loses or wins. And I thought to myself, he's staying alive to find that out? I mean, uh, yes, sure, it's interesting, but in four years, there'll be the same question, and in four years after that, the same question. And then, and then there's the 2016 general election, which apparently all of Washington is shut down in any kind of real uh, positive sense of momentum in order to reflect that everything, nothing is going to happen for the next two years. Well, then when is anything going to happen? You know. So the question is, nothing's going to happen for the next no, no years. So what do you do with that? And um, that is really the starting point. Now, I, I used to think that the uh, the best response to the facts, at least as I think the um, both the fun of it and the cyclical part of it, both the guess who part and the Fox News, CNN, H, um, MSNBC part of it, is that um, the best thing is just to kind of go with a very um, sort of the, 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 the world of movies like Gremlins and uh, um, um, uh, Explorers and, and uh, Camp, you know, the Phantom Planet, the camp side of life, that that was really a very good answer. God is in the camp. And in a way, he is. That, that's a very good way to start. Um, just see The H-Man, you know, one of the Toho masterpieces. And that's a very serious movie in its own amazing way. But just see the, the cabaret sequences in uh, The H-Man in light of your own life and in light of what The H-Man is actually about, that Toho masterpiece, which is available easily through Netflix or YouTube. And uh, say to yourself, well, is God there? Well, yes, probably he's more in The H-Man than he is in, in any number of other places where we take ourselves seriously. But... Um, there's uh, another possibility, and I, Mary and I think about this a lot. Another way of looking at it is to see, well, whatever you decide to do in light of the facts, um, and find something you like to do, but it's symbolic, as the Buddhists and the uh, Hindus uh, say, and I don't want to distinguish right now between them. There's a great distinction to be made, but in terms of the falsity of living and the illusions of living, uh, the uh, philosophical differences between most uh, Hin Hindu thought and most Buddhist thought are uh, zero in terms of the sort of unmasking of the illusory nature of the karmatic um, world in which we live, which is just as clearly seen in the book of Ecclesiastes and in the uh, fatal judgments of Jesus Christ himself in relation to the world. You know, in the world you will have tribulation, but behold, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Um, John is not that far apart from Shankara at that point, and it's a very useful point. What happens when you see through it? Well, you, you let, let me say this. You, you, um, you, you, you do best to actually, in addition to doing something that you like a little bit, that you find to do, because you do have to make a living. Um, I recognize that. God knows. Um, and... Uh, but it's symbolic. What you do is really indifferent. The actual thing that you do, whether you work for the Clinton or whether you work for George Bush, whether you work for the U, you know, not the U.S. Army, that's an exception, but whether you work for the sanitation division or uh, blow lawns or uh, blow lunch, you know, uh, whatever you do, uh, or, you know, but whether you are uh, working with some 
family business or whether you're uh, uh, teaching. These are all worthwhile things. But remember, in light of the near-death experience, in light of being on the ceiling at the point of your departure, they are indifferent in value. They are that they're rather the same. They are different forms of the same thing. D F. O-T-S-T. And so whatever you find to do, while it has a subjective interest for you, is probably in the run of what I'm talking about under the panopticon is symbolic. What's the real work of life? The real work of life is sort of figuring it out. And uh, really the real work of life, in a sense, is entering a convent, if not physically, and I recommend that, um, mentally. And in some very concentrated, normal way. Now, a lot of people see this today. A lot of people realize that the only way to understand the uh, extraordinary um, meaninglessness of uh, the daily round and the common task, because I don't take the line that some uh, people do, that it's all incarnational. If you see God is in the little things and God is enfleshed in the little things of life, I've heard that often. I don't see it. I just haven't. That's not been my experience um, I would see rather that uh, the little things of life turn into, while they can be symbolically helpful to a person, of course, they are often, they're more often kind of vast imprisonments to a kind of, as I said, um, journey, wheel in the sky delusion. And uh, what we really need to do is uh, find our way above them, around them, under them, through them. Through them is a good way, but not remaining with them. They are not, they are not the end. That I am utterly uh, convinced of. And therefore, we do well, in a sense, hie thee, get thee to a nunnery. We do well to um, take Hamlet's uh, admonition and injunction very much to heart. I've tried to do it myself, and uh, there are times when I feel it's really uh, paid off. Um, let me close with a interesting statement that uh, uh, Burton Cummings, I believe he's the author of this. As a matter of fact, I know he's the author of it. Uh, fairly late in their string of great hits, what, maybe 1972, 73, uh, I forget the date, they um, did a song, which you're going to hear in a minute, called No Sugar Tonight slash New Mother Nature. And it was a, a medley of two songs that are very artfully um, combined to form one rock and roll single. No Sugar Tonight in my coffee, no sugar in my tea slash um New Mother Nature's Son, or this is actually New Mother Nature. And um, like a lot of inspired people, Bachman and Cummings in this case, they the lyrics are impressionistic. They are not in a line. They're not um, at all um, uh, in any sense uh, – Systematic from a from a logical point of view, but they 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 have tremendous glimpses into the unknown truth of all living. And the line that I want to underline from Burton Cummings' part of the song, Randy Bachman, I believe, wrote the first song, and then the second one that is elided into the first is called New Mother Nature, and that has a line that goes like this: "No use calling, because the sky is falling and it's getting pretty near the end." Now, what I take that to mean, no use calling because the sky is falling and it's getting pretty near the end. This is the panopticon. Uh, it's getting pretty near the end and the sky is falling. Uh, very soon uh, there will be um, a change of venue and it may involve the end in the complete end, uh, kind of extinction, 
certainly extinction of the kind of ego part of you. Um, but in any event, the sky is falling and you know it. I mean, everybody who's ever had a death experience, even if it's not a near-death experience the way I've described it, um, a, a terrible, terrible loss. Uh, this is where this comes in. Anybody who's had a terrible sudden, abrupt uh, loss of something valuable and important knows exactly what it means. No use calling some don't, you don't give me any ethical response. Don't tell me anything to do. Don't give me any uh, sort of lot of words. Don't give me uh, five ways, six ways, seven approaches, even two or three. Give me one at the most to make it very, very short and make it very, very deep and make it very true and make it very personal. So uh, in terms of all the different um, religions, um, if they fall into this category, don't, don't, uh, they're, they're just going to collapse on, on you. No use calling because the sky is falling and I'm getting pretty near the end. Well, you'll hear that from Cummings as he sings it uh, in about three quarters of the way through the song I'm about to put on. And um, that is really the beginning. The beginning of wisdom is the place where you realize that all this other, these calls to you to be, do, whatever, are basically meaningless uh, because the sky is falling and you're getting near the end. And that's why you have to say, well, and remember that last book that, uh, the, that last novel that Thornton Wilder wrote, it's called The Eighth Day. Someone I care for very much has recently read it and has been very touched by that. But I believe the, the, uh, the concluding sentence in the book after this very complicated uh, attempt to understand a very, very large contraption of providence in the life of, of different individuals, um, he says something to the effect is, when well, we look here, we look here, There's a, it's a kind of rug or a mosaic or a skein or whatever you want to call it in which many, many things come together, but it's very hard to find out what it actually was. Or... Uh, or and uh, he ends it with a broken off sentence, an interrupted sentence, and I think uh, what that says to me is, when you come to this place of unbelievable vision, which is really puts everything completely in the darkness. It's all a hooey. It's all a it's all a dream. You don't even remember who they who you were. That's when you. Um, you're ready to start. Now, what about you? Are you, are you there? I mean, I, I know this is kind of obvious to ask you the question, but um, we were seeing Citizen Kane the other night, and in a way I thought to myself, after Citizen Kane loses everything, and we realize at the very end of the movie why, what the core loss is that underlies all the other catastrophic losses of his life in his 70s, we realized that, and I said to Mary and I said to myself first, well, this is where we start. In other words, Charles Foster Kane in his deathbed with the little snow globe and the final word that he said or his, quote, last words, that's where he really needs to start. Someone said very brilliantly this week to me, um, actually it was John Zoll, he said, um, you have to, uh, you have to, uh, what was it, you have to get into the past, you have to go into your past, you have to dig deep into your past in order for there to be any trans any change. Uh, you have to dig deep into your past in order for there to be any change. And this is really what life is all about. You have to come to a point when, when life has so stultified you and you've gotten to such, you've had the two by four and you say, what the, you know, and then you say, well, th there was, must have been a reason for this. Let's go back. And then you retrace your steps. What did I Eckhart say? If you want to know how to how to, where to find God, go back. If you want to find God, go back to where you lost him. And that's what Citizen Kane needed to do, which he didn't do. He couldn't do. He had no chance to do it. He had no 
no opportunity to it, but you do, and I, I do. We have the chance. Go back to where you lost him. Go back to where all this foolishness intervened, which was all of silky nonsense. And like, what is it, that song by George Harrison, um, Blowing Away? It all blows away. It's cobwebs. It's nothing. And go back to where you where, – go back to the absolute core of your life and your pain and your losses and your suffering, and that's where you begin. And that's where Citizen Kane could have begun, but it was too late for him and he died. So um, think about this for yourself. If you're with me, you're ready to begin. And if you're not with me, you're probably just going to have to get, you know, hit heavy. What is the, uh, in Citizen Kane, there's a a character who threatens the Citizen Kane character successfully, a a politician. And he says, um, you need to get a real blow. You, 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 you've got the wrong idea. You're going to have to have a real blow. And, and uh, Cain absolutely refuses that idea and pushes forward, and he's completely destroyed politically. And the man ends uh, the little confrontation by saying, you're not just going to have to have one blow. You're going to have, you're going to have more than one blow. And it happens. And that's where to begin. And then...
Oh. 